Hello and welcome back to Life of a Polyglot. So this is the third and final episode for February. I hope you've enjoyed them. I certainly have, especially with this new theme of food. I think, um, especially with you'll have noticed, or you will have noticed by the end of this episode anyway, that I'm running out of questions I can ask about food for my language diary. So I've had to move to more language diary challenges. Um, And I hope you enjoy this new kind of segment that I've done for my language diary. Um, I'm going to talk about it in a bit more depth when I actually get to it. Um, But alongside my language diary this episode, I'm going to do my final news story for February. And I'm going to do something I haven't done uh, before, which, um, well, I'm setting a trend here with new things I haven't done before, especially with um, the app review that I did for Duolingo. Uh, for the last episode this episode i'm going to do a bit more of a general segment um regarding what i kind of laid out that it would mainly consist of in the first very first introductory episode um and in this podcast podcast description uh which is generally just some tips tricks um and the occasional language joke uh surrounding the topic of bilingual multilingual and um trilingual life so i hope you enjoy all of this new these new features um without further ado let's get into my new and improved language diary Okay, so for my questions for this episode, I'm actually doing something a little bit different, uh, and that is counter lounges, C-A-N-T-O, lounge, lounges, first language challenge, Um, and counter lounge, just as a little side note, is a language, it's a language, is a website uh, for language learners, and they have done a variety of language diary challenges in the past um the website primarily focuses on learning mandarin and cantonese as it kind of implies in the in the title canter lounge um but it's just generally helpful for anyone trying to learn a language uh and that i'm going to introduce the challenge and then we'll get right into it so the challenge is to transcribe one minute of your favourite or any clip really from YouTube, Netflix, your favourite TV show um, and basically see how you do because obviously it's using language if you're studying for a formal qualification you're not necessarily going to learn Uh, so I was quite interested to see how it would go I'm going to do the English and then I'm going to transcribe it into Spanish. Hope you enjoy this new and different kind of language diary. Okay, so I'm going to read the English first. It's from the first minute of a random YouTube video as you'll quite quickly uh, realize Uh, so here it is it goes hello there so today I'm doing a video 
uh, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you forgot, I sat here and tried um, some of the worst Instagram art videos that I was able to find, and Instagram is a wonderful place, it has a lot of wonderful things, but there is also a lot of rubbish there, uh, and it is very difficult to find good things, so today I'm going to sit here and I'm going to try some of these things to see which ones do what they say they do and which ones are as bad as they look so I hope that you enjoy it and I'm going to start now so firstly I'm going to do something that I did before and I think it is quite important in comparison to the others if you take a piece of paper in a cup put the paper in the cup with some water uh, they have a big dish but I don't have a big dish so I'm going to use a cup so that is roughly a minute the first minute of a YouTube video uh, that just a random YouTube video that I found and now I'm going to read the Spanish transcription transcription translation that I've done for my language diary for this episode and that is Oya allí hoy estoy haciendo un blog dos semanas pasara proba probé unas de las cosas de Instagram uh, las cosas peores, los blogs peores que puedo buscar uh, y Instagram es un lugar bonito y hay muchas cosas bonitas y buenas pero también hay muchas cosas basuras y es muy difícil buscar las cosas bonitas así que ahí voy a hablar y voy a probar unas de estas cosas ver cuál que hacen que dicen y cuáles cosas son muy malos más mal que ven así que espero que los disfrutáis y voy a empezar ahora primero voy a hacer algún que hizo antes y creo que es más importante que las otras cosas qué es si tomas uh, tomáis un trozo de papel y una taza y pones el trozo de papel en la taza de agua Pues tienen un plato grande, pero no tengo un plato grande, así que voy a usar una taza. So, uh, that was my English and Spanish um, reading of the first minute of a YouTube video, and that is my first transcription. Um, I'm going to do two more, just because it's a little bit shorter than my language diary would be normally. Um... But I hope that's something different. Uh, I hope I haven't read that too fast. Um, but yes, that's the first of my transcriptions for my language diary for this episode. Okay, so now I've done my first translation for my language diary, part of Canter Lounge's uh, language diary challenge. Um, I'm going to do my second and then I will do my third. This translation that I'm about to do is a clip from a TED talk um, and it is about someone else's, I should stress, language journey and not my own. Um, but I thought it was quite nice that it was related to languages seeing as this is a language podcast. So I'd read the English first and then the Spanish translation. Uh, and I do apologise for any errors in the translation, either in this in the first translation or translation or in this second translation, just because I am translating it with my own language knowledge, uh, because frankly Google Translate would be cheating, um, and it would likely get things wrong anyway. 
Um, so here's the English. I love learning foreign languages. In fact, I love it so much that I like to learn a new language every two years, and I'm currently working on my eighth one. When people know this about me, they always ask me, how do you do that? What do you know that I don't? And if I'm honest, for many years I would tell them, I don't know. I just love to learn languages. But people were never happy when I told them this. They wanted to know why they are spending years trying to learn even one language, never being able to speak fluently. And I would learn lots of languages, one and many, now on my eighth. They wanted to know what people do to learn a lot of languages. And that made me wonder, how do other people do it? What do we have in common? And now the Spanish. Me encanta aprender los idiomas extrañas. Me encanta que me guste aprender un idioma nuevo por dos años y ahora estoy trabajando en mi idioma actual, idioma octava. Cuando gente lo comprenden para mí, uh, siempre preguntan a mí, ¿cómo lo haces? ¿Qué conoces cuando no, no, lo no conozco? Y si estoy una persona honesta por muchos años, se chataría, uh, lo no conozco. Me encanta aprender los idiomas extraños, pero no fueron felices cuando se hable. Querieron conocer cómo está, están pasando muchos años y mucho tiempo y están queriendo comprender un idioma extraño. Nunca pueden hablar eh, si no están rápidos y aprendería un idioma y después aprendería muchos idiomas. Querieron cono conocer que gente hace aprender muchos idiomas. Lo me hace creer. ¿Cómo lo hacen otras personas? Y más importante, que tuvieran un en común. So that's been my second translation and now I'll move on to my third. So, um, now I've done my second and first translations, and again, I apologise for any errors in those, um, and I apologise in advance for any errors in this third and final translation for this episode for, as part of my language diary. Um, but I, as I've said before, I'm using my own translation skills, no Google Translate involved, um, purely because otherwise, this whole exercise is pretty pointless um, and just because Google Translate would get it wrong anyway. So again, I'm going to read the English first and then the Spanish. Um, also, this um, clip comes from the TED talk, The Skill of Humour by Andrew Tarvin, if you'd like to give it a listen. Um, so, six years ago, I was sitting out with some friends in New York City when my phone made a noise and I was surprised to find that I had a text from my grandmother. I was surprised because at the time my grandmother was 78 years old and she had never sent a text before. And I'll tell you that the first text was adorable. It said, Dear Andrew, I'm trying out messaging. I love you, your grandma. I thought, she thinks it's a letter. And therefore, I sent her a message back saying, Hi grandma, it's a text. You don't need to include all of that. And her response was, Dear Andrew, okay, love your grandma. 
my favourite part is that she always writes, love your grandma. Like, if she just said, um, love grandma, that I'd be confused. Uh, for example, if it, if it said, dear Andrew, I hope you have a great time in Texas, love grandma, I'd be thinking, grandma? Who's grandma? But my grandmother was just working things out. Uh, and now the Spanish. Hace seis años fui a New York con unos amigos cuando mi móvil hizo un ruido y había sentido sorpreso porque que tuve un mensaje de mi abuela y fui sorpreso porque a el tiempo mi abuela había tenido 68 años, años y nunca había mandado un mensaje antes. Y diré que el mensaje primero fue muy bonito. Titio a Andreas, estoy empezando a mandar los mensajes que echo de menos tu abuelo. Creo, lo creo es una carta, así que mande un mensaje, Titio. Hola abuelo, es un mensaje, no tienes que los incluyes todo. Y responde con a Andreas, vale, te eche de menos tu abuelo. Creo que creía que si no pone tu abuela, que sería estresante, por ejemplo, si había tenido a, a Andreas. Espero que tienes un tiempo bueno en Texas, Texas. abuela, que quizás te diría abuela. Tienes abuela, pero mi abuela fue solo trabajando las cosas. So that's the end of my third and final translation as part of my language diary for this episode. Next, I'm going to move on for the new, to the new story for this episode. See you there. Okay, so now I've covered my language diary, that new version of my language diary for this episode. Uh, let's move on to the new story, and that is that Irish speakers fear future battles over language, especially relating to a new draft bill surrounding the Irish language. So Irish speakers could potentially face a battle a day to get services in the language, uh, and this was a view expressed by some of those attending a meeting in West Belfast uh, to debate proposed new language laws. The meeting was organised by the Gaelic League organisation and the laws which were being discussed were drafts for new Irish language laws which were included in the New Decade New Approach Agreement. Daniel Holder from the Committee on the Administration of Justice and Solicitor Niall Murphy of Belfast legal firm KRW Legal were key speakers at the event and provided written analysis of the proposed Irish language legislation. An Irish language bill was part of the New Decade New Approach Agreement alongside a new Office of Identity and Cultural Expression and a Commissioner for the Ulster Scots and Ulster British Tradition in Northern Ireland. The Irish language bill would also need the appointment of an Irish language commissioner to ensure public bodies met standards for service in Irish. However, what the Commissioner proposes must first be approved by the First and Deputy First Minister before becoming practice. 
in his written analysis, Mr. Holder said there was a risk the commissioner would be constrained, quote-unquote. The weakness in the legislation relates to the potential for political interference, he wrote. There is, however, a long track record of political obstruction of Irish language measures by the DUP in particular, and the provision uh, will test whether there is a new approach in this new decade. As a result, attendees expressed frustration and said Irish speakers would face a bat in the day to get public services in Irish or things like bilingual signs on main roads. Mr Murphy said that it was not a freestanding Irish language act. Official status is official status, only in so far as the commissioner interprets it so. Uh, there is no mention in the draft bill about the public visibility of a gaelage, uh, with no com- commitments whatsoever uh, on public signage. Mr Murphy also wrote uh, that, uh, that the Irish language was in a healthier position now than it had been before, but the, but the draft bill was just the start of the journey. So that's the coverage of my news story for this episode. It's been quite a lot shorter just because I feel the nature of the issue means that I can't really give my judgment on what I would personally say about this issue. Um, but that has been my news story and the breaking news not related to my fever food um, in case you nodded off for a little in the middle of that uh, and that is that Irish speakers via uh, future battles over language surrounding a new draft bill and essentially they are pushing for action to ensure that uh, the, the actual bill uh, includes things like uh, commitments on public signage uh, and it mentions the public visibility of a gaelic in particular as they say the draft bill is only the start of the journey So now I've finished my language diary and my news story for this episode, the news story being the Irish speakers via future battles over language. I'm going to move on to a new feature because I'm all for trying new features out in these February episodes and that is what I'm going to call the life of a polyglot mini feature which will talk about the the life of a polyglot, things like um, jobs, universities, qualifications, Um, just to really define um, this as a real feature and to make sure that I'm including it on a monthly basis just so you get what you expect if you're searching up on Apple Podcasts Life of a Polyglot the thing you expect is to hear about the life of a polyglot Um, so those are the things I hope to cover with this next feature and this is my first Life of a Polyglot feature I hope you enjoy So this is it, the first time I'm going to cover in relative depth uh, the life of a polyglot. As I said before, uh, in this segment or feature I hope to cover jobs, unis, qualifications and popular uh, language exchanges and opportunities for volunteering included in that uh, through the use of languages. Obviously, 
uh, in any job, the use of languages can be applied, and in the near future, I'd like to talk a little about how to incorporate languages into your job. Uh, but for the first few features uh, where I talk about language jobs, I'm going to talk about um, jobs with, where languages is the main focus. And I should say, more often than not, apart from this one, what I have planned, um, the more obscure ones, uh, although, like I said, that's not entirely true for what I'm going to do for this first one, just to kind of feel out the feature, kind of work out what I'm going to do. Um, in terms of language jobs that I'm going to cover, I think when I do a language job, um, I'll do um, research from a variety of sources just so we can get a well-rounded view of the job. Um, and I've got a list of about 20, 30 jobs where a language degree uh, is directly related or would be helpful uh, for specific jobs here. So I'm thinking I'm going to do um, a job for each time I do this segment, uh, which might be twice a month, it might be once a month, I don't know yet. Uh, but I'll let you know as soon as I have it all figured out. Um, I think it'd be useful just to go through that list now. So I found this on their website Prospects, which uh, I've used in the past for careers advice, qualification, things like that. Uh, and according to Prospects, the jobs directly related to language degrees include obviously translator and interpreter, two of the most widely known jobs, which come as a direct result of a language degree, uh, a secondary or primary school teacher teaching either modern foreign languages or um, some schools do choose to do um, Asian languages um, or non-modern European languages uh, but that obviously would entail doing a PGCE um, so not just you can't come straight out of a language degree and go straight into teaching which is unfortunate but it's okay. Um, the other two that I didn't know so much were directly related to language degrees were an academic researcher uh, and a political risk analyst, um, which was which was quite enlightening for me when I was researching this. And jobs where a language degree would be useful include a broadcast journalist, detective, uh, diplomatic service officer, education consultant, uh, English as a foreign language teacher, so using your target your target language um, in whichever countries it's spoken and teaching English as a foreign language. Uh, an international aid or development worker, logistics and distribution manager just because of the aspect of the fact that you're distributing worldwide, uh, marketing executive, uh, patent examiner, private tutor, publishing rights manager, sales executive, and tour manager. So those are, that's just a small section of the list that I have. Obviously, like I said, jobs uh, before, languages can be applied to pretty much any job because of the um, fact if you're working in a big company and they're dealing worldwide, some element of languages would be involved in any job in that company. Uh, but those are some of the jobs listed specifically on prospects as being related to directly or indirectly uh, to a languages degree. So for the first time of me doing this feature, I'm going to go for the interpreter and translator just because they're the most two widely advertised jobs. 
uh, relating to languages and I thought why not do a bit of a comparison because they're sometimes used interchangeably and uh, as I I knew already that they weren't interchangeable but I didn't know the specifics uh, so this was really interesting for me um, so to go for the translator first from the job profile provided on prospects we can see that a translator converts written material and that is important because that is the main difference uh, but there are a few others but a translator converts written material from one or more source languages into a target language um, essentially assure, ensuring meaning is conveyed as clearly as possible and the target language in which to into which you'll translate the source material is normally your mother or native language. Um, the most in-demand languages as a translator are the official languages of the EU and the six official languages of the UN. Um, as a translator you can translate all range of documents um, from commercial, educational, legal, literary, scientific and technical documents uh, and you could expect to have about a 2,000 to 3,000 daily uh, translation output in terms of words. Um, if you're working for an, a company as opposed to freelance, uh, the hours are normally 9 to 5, just a general office job. Uh, obviously just the application of languages makes it a bit different. Um, the rates if you're a freelance are often calculated according to word count and the salary varies widely across the UK uh, from 18,000 to £40,000 uh, but obviously can go higher if you're translating highly specialised text or translation from or into unusual languages uh, so that pays more. Um, for a translator, which is different to an interpreter, a postgraduate qualification is available uh, and is expected by most employers. Um, degrees that will help you to become a translator or yeah, specifically become involved as in languages as the main focus of your job would be uh, translation studies with languages, modern European languages um, or non-European languages and business, law or science with languages uh, and these can go to postgraduate qualifications. Um, there is the possibility that you don't necessarily need a language degree so long as you can demonstrate you're fluent in two or more languages. Um, whereas yes, as I'll talk about in a minute, the inter for an interpreter, postgrad qualifications aren't necessarily a must. Uh, like they are for a translator but you do require some kind of language degree um, as well as being able to show you're fluent in two or more languages. Um, the work is mainly provided at the moment by uh, the UN or NATO big companies who deal with uh, business and uh, international relations so that the international work is involved there um, but it says on the job profile work has been more freely advertised by um, the Ministry of Defence, MI5, GCHQ, uh, have more recently uh, openly advertised the job opportunities uh, available with them. Whereas uh, I've touched on it before, just when I was describing that tra the translator, uh, but for an interpreter, you would be translating spoken and sign language 
uh, from one language to another, so it's more likely to be from one to another rather than multiple languages into the target language. Uh, there are different types of interpretation, uh, and they are simultaneous interpretation, um, consecutive interpretation, and liaison interpretation. So, simultaneous interpretation uh, normally would be working in a soundproof room, and uh, you immediately convert what's being said from the top from the um, from the source language to the target language um, and listeners hear the interpretation through an earpiece whilst the speaker is still speaking. Consecutive interpretation, you could listen to the speaker talk for an extended period of time and then you translate afterwards and this is especially used in business meetings and liaison interpretation uh, is interpreting into and out of target language uh, using either consecutive interpretation or whispered simultaneous because um, a different type of simultaneous interpretation could be that you sit with the group of people and translate physically talking to them uh, as opposed to your, you being recorded and then played into someone's earpiece. Um, like I mentioned before, fluency in two languages is not always enough uh, and is therefore arguably more demanding. Um, but an undergraduate qualification can be enough and is often required um, to be an interpreter, though postgrad is not necessarily um, always expected. Degrees for undergraduate qualifications could be modern languages or, uh, yeah, modern European languages or non-European languages, BSL, so British Sign Language, and interpreting um, an undergraduate qualification, interpreting and translation, uh, so those are some um, undergraduate qualifications you could take to allow yourself to become an interpreter, uh, mainly freelance, and instead of word count uh, being freelance rates, uh, as it was with a translator, it's mainly hourly rates for an interpreter. Unless you're working for someone like UNESCO or the Ministry of Defence, who are the two of the biggest um, employers of interpreters that were listed on the job profile, um, then your hours could be quite um, infrequent and income could be quite unstable. Um, but yes, I think the main things to point out from both of those descriptions is um, that undergraduate qualifications are required for interpreters but not for translators. Postgrad is required for translated translators um, but not for interpreters. Fluency in two languages would be enough to be a translator but not an interpreter. Um, and there are several different types of interpretation whereas for translation you're just translating from one or more source languages into a target whereas an interpreter translates from one language to another whether that be spoken or sign language. Um, so that's been my first life of a polyglot mini feature. I feel like I've really gone through that quite quickly um, so I'll see how I can make it more concise, make it more useful in the future uh, but I hope you've enjoyed that insight into potential jobs, two of the most well-known jobs uh, in terms of progression in languages. Um, yes, we'll see how that develops. If you have any comments, please let me know. You can um, get in contact 
via if you're listening on anchor the message button on the public page and i think my email for all podcast business is included in the contact info for this podcast so anything you'd like to see give me an email um and i will get to it as quickly as i possibly can um so that's the end of this episode this episode i've done my uh translations of clips from across the web uh which was inspired by canter lounges uh language diary challenge i have done my news story that irish speakers may face um day-to-day battles just to find services in their own language and that I have compared and contrasted the jobs of a translator and an interpreter in my new Life of a Polyglot feature. Uh, This is the end of the episodes for February. I hope you've enjoyed them. If you haven't already listened to the first and second episodes, please go and check them out. Uh, I'm going to stop recommending January episodes just because they're not as good as the other ones in my opinion um, and not quite as long Um, I will see you in March and this has been Life of a Polyglot the podcast for language learners